Alrighty. Okay, welcome everyone to our second workshop. Um, I do appreciate everybody just taking the time to come back in for this rescheduled one. Um, I hope that everybody's doing well today and ready to learn from Shay with Finance for the Culture, um, who is our panelist today. My name is Karis. If you've been on for the last workshop or last year, year before, you've probably heard this little intro a million times, but I will just do it for everyone who's new to the workshop series. Um, so like I said, my name is Karis. I am Director of Operations at Afrowave TO. Um, before getting this position, um, I worked both on the creative side of music, so singer, songwriter, music producer, um, and then that kind of just sparked my interest in the business side and management and just what it looks like behind the scenes. Um, so I ended up just doing a bunch of different things in music business, working with um, studios. I went to study artist management at Harris Institute, um, putting on workshops, just different stuff to get to this point where I am now. Um, where I'll be your host for this virtual workshop series that we'll be putting on this year. Uh, with us, we have Shay Myers. Like I said, it's going to be a little bit different in terms of our format for this particular workshop. I know you're used to us just kind of having a conversation with panelists um, for that first hour and then having Q&A after. But Shay actually prepared a wonderful presentation for us today. So. Um, I'm going to just hand that over to her. She wants to tell us a little bit more about herself. Her full bio is on the Eventbrite page, so feel free to check that out. Um, but Shay, over to you. Thank you. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Um, if you are alive and breathing, can you get off your mics or get off mute and give a hello or a year or something? Would love to hear, you know, I can't see your faces, but would love to hear some energy before we get started. Don't be shy. I don't have a one Scarborough year. We don't got no one from Scarborough here. Come on now. Oh, I see a face. Now, if you're not able to unmute your mic, can you put that in the chat? Oh, I hear noise. Here, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> All right, turn out. Yay. Hello, hello. Okay. Happy Wednesday. Yes, happy Wednesday. Okay, cool. So I'm starting to see um, like the participants pop up and good to know that you all can unmute your mic. So this is not gonna be your typical boring finance spiel. I'm going to teach you tips and, and concepts that you can actually apply right away and the whole purpose is to elevate your finances and of course this is focused for artists but in general as a person 
there is no better time to get your finances together. We are, I don't even know if we're in a recession already or we're heading into one, but not even that, we are still feeling the effects of COVID, right? And the only way that we can really get ahead of all of this, change our lives and change our family's lives is to become financially um, literate. So I'm gonna be giving you all the tea on different financial concepts. It is gonna be interactive. I do have um, time after each topic for you to ask questions. So please feel free to unmute yourself and ask the question. Or if you're not comfortable, feel free to write it in the chat and Chris will um, monitor that for me, okay? So let me know if you can see my screen. Oh, um, can you give me permission to share my screen, please? Okay, let me just go ahead and see if... Exactly what I was saying about technology here. I might end up saying <laughs> that you're allowed to. Um, but just give us a second here, guys. Let me just make sure that we can just fix any issues here. So I think if you um, hit my square or my box or my video yeah. <laughs> and uh click the three dots it should let you yeah because on my end it's saying that you are allowed i'll just give it a, sec a second here guys please and thank you yeah it's telling me that you're able to i'm not sure if i'll probably have to go right into the settings and join or what I can do is, um, I can just send you mm -hmm. my thing and you can share it. Or maybe uh, just it could be just because I'm um, I had to open it up on my phone at the moment, so I could probably just switch over the host to you, um, so that you can just share right away instead of okay. having to go back in. So it'll just make you host for the moment. Okay. You may need to just. Uh... Yeah, Okay, see if it allows you to do that now. And then in the end, I guess we could just switch it back over um, just so I can end out. Okay, sounds good. Okay, okay. Um, can I get a yes, you're, hey, ho. Yeah, everyone <laughs> um, should hooray, be you see now, this? So, <laughs> <laughs> so y'all can see this, right? Yes, we can see. Okay, perfect. Okay, so sorry for the technical difficulties. Internet, mm -hmm. computer technology does not want us to win, but we will persevere. <laughs> so welcome to the Financial Literacy Workshop. My name is Shay. My business is Finance for the Culture. I have an online financial services business that I started just two years ago. Two years ago, I did not know a lick of finance. And here I am able to teach other people, which just shows that anybody can learn 
about finance. Anybody can become financially literate. It's all about getting the information and applying it. So I just really want everybody to understand I'm not special. I am special, but I'm not that different from you all. It's just information and implementation equals financial success. Okay. So these are some of the areas that I can help with budgeting, insurance, investments, banking, workshops like this one, financial consultations, which, by the way, are complimentary. So please take advantage of that monthly coaching as well as youth mentorship. So my mission is to provide accessible solution to common money problems. So when people don't know how to handle their debt, if people need help saving, if people want to get into investing, my mission is to make this information as accessible and digestible as possible so that marginalized communities and marginalized folks can take control of the money. Okay, so just a little bit more about me and why I'm qualified to teach you about finance. Over 10 years of teaching and tutoring experience, so far I've helped over 150 people through financial education. I've hosted over 50 workshops working with U of T, Queen's University, RISE, and Manifesto. And I actually just hit um, this milestone of helping clients pay off over $100,000 in debt, which is insane one client had um a lot like it's debt is one of those things and we'll get into it it's scary at first but when you understand credit it is so manageable so if you right now are sitting on top of a lot of debt please sit tight we're gonna get through it i'm gonna teach you how to navigate the credit system um november 2019 i had $200 to my name after working for 10 years, I had $200. And in the span of about two years, I was able to build multiple five-figure funds. And again, information implementation, right? And as you can see, a couple other milestones. So there is hope no matter what your financial situation is, as long as the, um, the information that's provided is tailored to your situation, there's no reason why you won't be able to succeed. And lastly here, one-stop shop. So typically when you speak to financial advisors or educators, they're only um, well-versed in one area. And the importance of having somebody who can help in all areas means that I know what's going on in all of your areas versus me just knowing about your banking situation or just knowing about insurance or just knowing about investments. I'm able to give a holistic approach. So whether I become your advisor or whether you want to just ask a couple questions afterwards, I'm able to provide you with a holistic approach to your financial success. So this is a crash course. You're gonna be learning a couple different things. The purpose of this is to unlearn unhealthy habits, build financial confidence and independence, develop better decision-making skills and grow your money. These are the topics we're gonna get into. So let's get into it. Quick disclaimer, this is for educational purposes only for specific solutions to your specific situation. Please connect with me afterwards. Like I said, the consultations are complimentary because further um, solidifying what my mission is and what my purpose is, I want to make access to financial literacy as accessible as possible. Okay. 
So this is a concept that I teach people to help them really visualize what they need to do to create a solid financial house. And the very first step is mindset. So I'm going to ask you all this. Do you think money is evil or good? And if you can unmute yourself, that would be amazing. Is money evil? Is money good? Is money great? What are your thoughts? I guess I'll go first and then mm -hmm. I'll be the icebreaker. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that money is, I kind of look at it in a neutral way in terms of it can be both um, mm -hmm. depending on, on like how you apply it to your life. But I think overall, it could be really good, more good than harm um, in the sense that it can help you to achieve your goals. It can help you, I know they say money can't buy happiness, but money can buy you mm. things that can get you to your ideal life, which will get you to happiness. Um, right. So I think that it all depends on, on how you apply it to your life and what kind of role you allow it to have. If you look at it from like a useful perspective, like I can use this to get here, then yeah. it does more good. But if you're allowing it to like control you instead of you controlling it, then that's where it becomes mm -hmm. harmful because it causes you more frustration and you know more anger, more sadness, more negative emotions. That's that's my yeah. outlook on it. I love that. And and you hit it right on the nail because I would say that most people who I would say a lot of people who are not in the best financial financial situation or they've you know grown up seeing they grew up seeing their parents struggle mm -hmm. um marginalized communities where you know there are barriers to access relating to money we might have a negative view on it but mm -hmm. if we have a negative view about money I would say that our likelihood to want to go and get money and, you know, build a healthy relationship with money is going to be really, really low. So what we want to do, and this is not going to happen overnight, is try to shift our mindset to view money as a neutral tool that we can direct. We have to reclaim our power over money. We can control it and we can direct it wherever we want to go. We can spend our money on things that are going to um, progress the world, you know, green energy, local businesses, black businesses, women owned businesses, that kind of stuff. Or we can put our money into things that are going to destroy ourselves and destroy our earth. So we have the control over what we do with our money and where it goes. And the sooner we take back that control, the sooner we'll be able to use it better. I always tell people how you feel about yourself is directly connected to how you spend money. Why do you think retail therapy exists, right? So we really want to shift our mindset to see it as a neutral tool, and this is going to help us in the long run. So the first thing that you want to do if you are considering improving your finances is figuring out what your numbers are. If you don't know what your monthly income is, we have a problem because you don't know what's coming in. So how do you know how much you can spend, right? Expenses, 
you don't know how much your phone bill costs you don't know how much your you know your daily house bills are you don't know how much pet food is it's going to be very hard to organize your money if you don't know what these numbers are debt a lot of people run away from their debt they don't know how many debt accounts they have they don't know how much they owe they don't know you know how much they owe to friends and family and this is going to be a problem because how how do you know how much you have to pay back if you don't know what you have right investments side hustle insurance these are all types of numbers you should know about yourself and you know other than if you are consulting with an advisor it's not something you really have to share with other people you know personal finances are personal but at the very least you should know these things so does anybody um have one more number that you should know about yourself similar to these kind of numbers what other numbers should you know about yourself And I promise you, this is going to be a lot more fun if you participate. And I might even have a prize for people who participate the most. So please, what is one more number that someone should know about themselves? And there's no wrong answer. So just throw out some answers. Or put it in the chat. I think people are saying, no, I'm just still not able to chat but feel free to unmute guys i'm so sorry that for this i don't know what it is but this particular workshop while we are getting this battle but we will persevere as she right. said um so just feel free to to unmute and just give us your number quickly and we can continue yeah it says talking permitted so maybe we just have a quiet bunch but hey so one other number that you should know about yourself is your credit score okay i know we're a little bit afraid but guess what no one's gonna know if you don't tell them so it's not for other people it's for you your credit score and i'm going to get into more detail in our credit debt section but it's essentially a summary of your financial habits so it's going to reflect whether you are responsible or not with your money. And so everyone should know this and everyone should be checking this at least once a month. So if you're taking notes, take some notes on what numbers you should know about yourself. And if you don't know any of these numbers, this is homework for you, okay? How much you are spending, someone says. Yes, mm -hmm. that's another number that you should know. How much you're spending on a monthly basis or even on a daily basis, exactly. Okay, so throughout this um, workshop, I have activities that I like to do with my own clients and I suggest you do them as well if you've never done them before. So let's get real. What are some expenses that somebody could have? These are some examples. Now all of you are artists or maybe some of you are artists so another expense would be studio time or maybe a microphone or equipment stuff like that you should know how much these things cost especially if they are monthly costs right so your job is to write down all of these expenses and write down the amounts right i could tell you right now that my phone bill is 67 dollars 80 every single month these are numbers that you should know i'm not saying you got to rem remember everything but you should have an idea and you should definitely have this stuff written down somewhere, right? So where's your money? Here, 
on this page, this is where your money is, okay? Uber. So one of my biggest milestones um, was saving $10,000 in five months. And how did I do that? I deleted Uber and I deleted Uber Eats because that was where my money was going. And it was a sacrifice. Yes, I did it between January and May. So it was still cold when I started and I was very tempted to use Uber, but my goal of saving money and changing my financial habits were a priority for me. So I'm not saying you have to do, do it cold turkey like I did, but you know the point is to reduce your spending where you can. Tim Hortons has some of y'all in a chokehold, okay? Starbucks, Tim Hortons, every day, this is a, an expensive habit. It's very expensive. And especially with inflation, things are not the same as they were a couple months um, or years ago. So I'm not saying you can't have your coffee, but every single day, right? Here's a trick. I want you to take how much your, your coffee costs right? So let's say it's five bucks. I don't know, maybe that's more Starbucks, five bucks. Let's say you do that every single day of the year, right? So that's 365, $1,825. Okay. Maybe that's not too bad. So let's say you're doing that for the next 30 years. Okay. So $1,825 times 30. $54,000. $750. If you're okay with spending that much on coffee, especially if it's like Tim Hortons coffee, because I heard it's not good. I don't know. I'm not a coffee drinker. I like tea, but if you're okay with spending that, you can do that. But if you're not, it's time to shift, right? Maybe I don't need this coffee every single day, right? Fashion Nova, right? Clothing. We don't need to shop every single day or every single month, I shop seasonally and it's super helpful. So a major haul right before summer or spring and a major haul right before fall slash winter, right? And yes, I do buy things in between, but it's very, very limited. Parking, we don't wanna pay for parking, but we're okay with paying for parking tickets. My friend parked in the wrong spot the other day and had to pay $80, okay? Pizza, not specifically pizza, but outside food, right? Outside food is so expensive. And again, it's not about stopping this completely. It's just about reducing it a little bit. So make note of where your money's going. And one way you can figure that out is pulling up the receipts, right? Go through your bank statements for the past three months to get an idea of your spending habits. So I say past three months, not just the past month, because with three or more, maybe like three to six months, you'll be able to see a pattern in what you're spending your money on. And I know it's scary. Eh, I don't want to do it. But this is a way to get a wake up call, right? Like, what am I spending my money on? How can I reduce this? Um, and maybe you don't even know, right? Like, tap. We're tapping with the card. It's very easy to tap and not think about it. So doing this on a monthly basis, being able to review your spending habits and your purchase, uh, your purchasing patterns is going to be um, a healthy habit that you need to get into so you can manage your spending, right? And you can also make a needs versus wants list. So let's say for the month of September, how much money you spent on needs like bills and how much you spent on wants. And if your wants list is more than your needs, then we got to do a little bit of shifting, right? 
So organizing your money is super important. You need to become a master of your finances, right? This is nobody's responsibility but your own. You need to know what your income is, what your expenses are, what are considered needs and what are wants. And sometimes we can convince ourselves that wants are needs and we have to be we have to adult and be responsible and really be honest with what is a need and what is a want, okay? Separating your money. So can anyone tell me what this means or how you can separate your money so that your money is more organized? And if you want to put it in the chat, please do. Budgeting? Mm-hmm. What about um, like a tool maybe that you can use to separate your money? Your or an tax? app? Or an mm -hmm. app, so it could be your digital banking app. Um, some people may track it. I think some of the banks actually have a tracker as well where you get your monthly mm -hmm. bank statement. You can kind of organize mm -hmm. everything that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you said it, you said uh, different accounts, right? So most people have a checkings and a savings. Um, some people also have a tax-free savings account. So your checking account, if you're getting money from work or wherever and it's all going into your checking account and you leave all your money. So let's say it's a thousand dollars and you just leave that in your checking account and you don't know how much is going to bills or you know you don't know how much is going here or you have a savings goal and you just keep all of that money in that one account your chances of saving is is going to be super super low right because you don't know it's just a lump sum of money so if you already have a savings account utilize that so if you get paid $1000 and you know that you want to get you you want to save 200 bucks move that $200 out of the checkings into your savings or your tax-free and have it there, right? And, and you need to, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you need to understand what each account is for and use it for that, right? And I'm going to explain um, two other ways you can separate your money in the next slide. Save first, spend after. So again, if you have a savings goal, you need to be committed to this goal. You need to, when you get paid, I'm putting aside money for my goal first and, and bills and anything that's necessary first. Spending money, if you end up having five bucks for spending, well, guess what? You have five bucks for spending because if you do it the other way around and you spend first and then try to save, you're most likely not going to be successful, right? So priorities. Automating your bills. So a lot of people get into more debt and, you know, fall victim of late fees because they forget to make payments. So if automating your bills, automating your payments is going to make your life easier, I really, really encourage you to do that so that you don't have to think about it, right? Setting up automatic withdrawals for savings goals so you can call up your bank and say, hey, on the 15th of every month, please move 200 bucks from my checkings into my savings so that you don't have to do it yourself. What we want to do is we want to make achieving our financial goals as easy as possible. And this um, automatic withdrawal system is one way to do that. Using a cash budget. So I know during COVID, nobody wanted to use cash. But before that, I would use cash for everything. So if I was going out, I would maybe bring 50 bucks or 40 bucks with me. And if I spent it all, that means that was it, you know, and it's a good way to really, again, separate your money give yourself a budget, and then learn to work with that budget. 
Um, Just a note on that before you move on to the next mm -hmm. point. Um, yeah. So living, so you, I think I mentioned like during our correspondence that I um, migrated, well, repatriated to Jamaica. And yeah. living in Canada where everything's just like tap and go, plastic, 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 like. Yeah. There are literally people who probably don't even remember what certain notes look like because it's mm. literally just like tapping. When you go to the Caribbean, at least I can speak for Jamaica, yeah. there's like no plastic because they charge you so much money just to use your own card that mm. you everything yeah. is cash. Like there are some places that literally don't even have like card machines to take your card. So yeah. it was in, you know, just as you came upon that, it was just interesting to kind of see how how different it became having to switch over from like purely car to yeah to a cash budget and it actually helped with separating my money because I was able to like go just draw a certain amount from you know whatever my salary is my income is for the month and then mm -hmm. literally just separate the cash and just have it so like when it's rent time I have rent when it's utilities yeah. I have utilities. like it actually really helped so much but it wasn't just interesting that uh a move or like a lifestyle change was what kind of prompted that oh like cash may actually be yeah. easier to work with in terms of you know like separating your your finances so I thought that was just yeah. it was just an interesting you know point that I could relate to yeah and and some people use like envelopes I know that might mm -hmm. seem like an old school way but there are people I have a client who still uses the envelope method so whatever you need to do to organize your money. Again, it's about what works for you, right? There are some things where it's like, if you don't do it this way, it's, it's probably gonna really like, you know, but at the end of the day, whatever works for you. Right now, to be honest, I use my credit card for a lot of things. Um, two reasons, you know, I do use it for business stuff and it does build my credit, but also, um, well, that's really the main reason I'm trying to build up my, my business credit. Um, and also I get cash back. So I get perks for using my card. Um, that's what works for me. But for somebody who, you know, doesn't really know how to use debt that way, you know, cash is not a bad thing. Um, and the last part here, long-term comfort over short-term satisfaction. So on a daily basis, we have to ask ourselves, is this going to help me, um, in the long run or is this going to hurt me right you really end up developing the more you shift your mindset and learn about finance you end up developing a, a different relationship with yourself where you pause and you ask yourself like do i really need this or should i buy this or maybe i should wait a couple of weeks before i buy this so that's the goal right we want to think how is this going to help me is this going to help me or hurt me right so on the topic of separating your money, I want to mention um, digital banks, which are banks that don't have a physical location um, that are for people, not profits. They typically don't have a monthly fee. As you know, the top five banks do have a fee. So digital banks like Tangerine do not have a fee. Um, they offer a lot more perks. They offer higher interest rates for your savings and your tax-free accounts. Um, and again, more perks. So if you're wondering, how can I separate my money? 
this is a cost-free way for you to start separating your money. You have your main bank where your money comes in and you can open up a second bank, a digital bank where you transfer your money over and you can save it there. Savings, emergency funds, anything that you should not be touching should be in a separate account so you don't it's like out of sight, out of mind. I know that works for me a lot and it might work for you. This is not a paid ad. I just love Tangerine. My experience with Tangerine has actually been way better than it's been with my main bank. Um, and I've only been with Tangerine for maybe like two years and I've gotten way more offers, credit card offers, bonuses, all that fun stuff. So there's multiple digital banks, there's Tangerine, there's Simply, there's Modus, there's EQ. So whatever tickles your fancy, but this is a way that you can really separate your money um, in an effective way. The next two slides are spending cards. So there's Wealth Simple, and the next one is Coho. I do have a referral code. Um, Wealth Simple started off really cool. So if you signed up to get the spending card, we would both get $10. Now it's $1. So it's nothing to write home about, but you still get cash back. You can, you know, tap it. So it's visa compatible. I think the card is pretty sexy looking, you know, and the purpose of this is to upload money from your bank account onto this card. And then you use this card for something specific, like this is my fun fund. This is my travel fund. This is my, if I go to the dollar store or, you know, run little errands, I'll use this card for it. And again, furthering the idea that separating your money is going to help you. This is a, a tool that you can use, okay? The next one is Coho. So this one is a lot more, I guess, fruitful, if you will. Same exact idea, except if you sign up, we both get $20. So it's a lot better still has cash back and all that fun stuff. And it's um, it's compatible. They recently changed it. So it's not gonna be Visa compatible. It's gonna be a MasterCard. But keep in mind that these two cards are spending cards. So they're not credit cards. So if you don't upload money onto them, you cannot use them, okay? It's just compatible with the machine so that you can tap, okay? Any questions, concerns about those two cards? If so, I can go back and um, clarify. Any questions about the first section, which was budgeting, saving, spending, all that fun stuff? Questions, comments, concerns? If we're still with me, <laughs> Can I get a yes, a year? Can I get something in the chat? Yours. Okay. I, yeah, I feel like I need cool. to give you a prize because you're you're giving me some feedback, some answers. I really appreciate it. Um, Charnel, if you can listen, message me on Instagram, Binance for the Culture, and I'm gonna work something out for you, okay? Because love it. Um, and if anybody else does want, you know, maybe a little one, two, one, two prize or something impromptu prize, please share your, your answers and participate so that it is fun for all of us. So next topic, credit and debt. Um, this topic is usually the favorite because 
you know, we don't get a credit 101 crash course when we get our first credit card. And this is why so many of us are in so much debt. If we just learned how credit worked, we would be able to take control over our debt and understand that we can actually use debt to build wealth. So something that's very interesting is on the eastern side of the world, if you don't have cash, like if you wanted to borrow $10,000 in cash and you didn't have $10,000 in your bank account, you actually can't borrow that money. Versus on this side, you don't have to have $10,000 to get access to $10,000. And that's the problem. Now, we can't really change the system. We can, but it's going to take a very, very long time. There's a lot of barriers, right? So we need to learn how to operate in the system the way it is, okay? So what is credit? The ability of a customer to obtain goods or services before payment based on the trust that payment will be made in the future. The best example is a credit card. So using a credit card or having access to credit card or debt without actually having the money in your bank account. Now, for each dollar they have, Canadians owe $1.83. This means that um, we're not making enough to handle our debt which is why we are getting further and further and further into debt, right? So what is an interest rate? Why is this important? As we progress, it's gonna make more sense. Money charged, AKA a fee for borrowing a loan, right? So if you look at credit cards, um, there's an interest rate on it. And it's basically to minimize the bank or the institution's losses if we don't make a payment or if we pay late. On the flip side though, interest rates can also mean a bonus. So you get bonuses, not very, not, not a lot, but you do get a bonus through your savings or investment accounts based on the interest rate. And we're gonna get um, into this further, okay? So savings and investments, you want your interest rate or your bonus to be as high as possible, right? And when it comes to debt, you want that fee or interest rate to be as low as possible. And I'm gonna show you why. So who here has heard of the rule of 72? Does this sound familiar? Have you seen a picture of it other than today? Has anyone mentioned this to you? Okay, so the rule of 72 is going to show us how much time it takes to double your money based on the interest rate. Why is this important? We are going to go through it. So we're going to look at this in two different ways. We're going to look at this when it comes to saving money and um, debt, right? So looking at this first square, I guess this is like a smoky onyx color. Let's say, actually, let me backtrack. The formula for the rule of 72 is 72 divided by the interest rate, right? So let's just say the banks were giving you 1% on your savings account. So if the formula is 72 divided by the interest rate, it would be 72 divided by one. Who has the answer? 72 divided by one. What is the answer? 72. Yep. So savings account. If I had $10,000 in my savings account, at 29 years old, it would take 72 years for that $10,000 to double to $20,000. Who here has 72 years at your age right now 
to wait for your money to double? Not me. <laughs> okay. Yep. Me neither. So, but this is, and the thing about it is that the banks aren't even giving us 1%, right? So this is, this is a cute little example, but the banks aren't even giving us this, right? Um, maybe digital banks, yes, but a regular bank is, is really giving us nothing. Now, let's say they gave us 4% on our savings account, right? So this time our money would double every 18 years. So that's still a long time, but it's a lot better than 72 years, right? Now we're going to jump onto the other side and look at this dark blue column. And let's look at this in the way of debt. So we already know that, well, if you don't know, the average credit card interest rate was 19.9%, but as of recently, I've been hearing numbers like 20%, 21%, 22%, 24%. But let's just say that they were charging us 10% on our credit card. Our money would double every 7.2 years. So that means that our debt is going to double extremely quickly, right? So our goal here, going back to the last slide, um, we want our savings accounts and our interest accounts to earn higher interest, and we want our debt to be earning lower interest, right? Does that make sense? If that makes sense, can I get a yep? Yep. Okay, awesome. So an activity you can do on your own is checking the interest. I'm curious to know, and you should be curious to know what my interest credit is, right? So for my savings or my tax-free um, credit account, my tax-free, sorry, savings account, how much interest am I earning? Is it two cents every month? Is it three cents? Is it 40 cents, right? You should know what it is because if you know what it is, you'll know if you need to move your money into places that earn more interest or bonuses for you, right? Also, if you don't know what the interest rate for your credit cards are, this is also something you should know as well, because it is going to help you calculate certain things, and we'll get into that in a couple of slides. Also, something else you want to know is how much you get charged if you are late on your payment, I used to be a debt collector. I promise I was nice, but the charges that I was seeing were anywhere from $25 to $45 to $60. And these things just add to your balance. So again, additional numbers that you should know are what's your saving account earning? What interest rate does your credit card have? And what kind of late fees are you looking at? Any questions? Okay, so what does your credit score mean? So as I mentioned at the very beginning, it is a summary of your financial habits and this is the range, um, goes from 300 all the way to 900. I always tell people above 700 is pretty good, but above 750 is fairly safe. Um, it is not impossible to get to the 800, 800 club at all. It's not. Um, do you need to like go crazy to get there? Not necessarily, but if that's a goal of yours, it's definitely possible. Um, but again, this is something that you should know for yourself and you don't have to share that with anybody 
unless you're working with somebody who is going to help you improve it. So understanding your score. So again, we don't get a crash course on how to understand credit. We also don't get a crash course on what your credit score means. So this is what it means. The most important thing when it comes to your credit score or credit or having debt is if you miss a payment, that is like the worst thing you can do, right? Missing a payment really, really negatively affects your score. So you wanna make sure that your payment history is consistent, right? That makes up 35%. The next most important part is only using 30% of what you owe. Guaranteed, most people are, are not following this rule, but mainly because they don't know that it exists. So if I have a $6,000 credit limit, I can only spend $1,800, which is 30%. I know it sucks and I know it doesn't make any sense, but this is one of those unwritten rules that we have to follow because if we don't, our score is going to drop. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and spend more than 30% of your limit and you will see, even if you max out your cards and pay it all back right away, if you use more than 30% of your limit, your score will drop. I went on vacation in August and I had to put me and my cousin's ticket on my credit card and it was more than 30% of my limit. And your score drops almost instantly. Like it's not even like it takes a week. It happens very fast. So you really need to know what your limit is, figure out what 30% of that is, and only spend 30% or less, okay? Next is length of credit history. So the longer you have a debt account, the better, right? Um, if you've ever closed an account or you're thinking of closing an account or closing a card, I highly recommend you not to do it because that's going to negatively affect your credit history, right? It's gonna affect the length especially if you've had that card or account for a very long time and it's your longest account and you go and you close that, it's going to shorten your credit history. Next is new credit open. So constantly applying for new credit cards is not the way to go. The goal is to have these companies offer you things but if you are going to apply to something, you want to do it strategically. So you don't want to do like three in one month. You want to space them out. Also, sometimes when you do apply for um, new credit, they will check your score, right? If an institution checks your score, it's considered a hard check, which can drop your points down or drop your score down. If you check your score, it's called a soft check, and you can do that as many times as you want. And the last part here is type of credit. So you want to diversify the type of debt that you have. I'm not saying that you need a car loan and a mortgage and a credit card, but if you are responsible enough to have multiple types of debt, that is the goal because these institutions like diversity, essentially. Any questions on? the credit score. I just had a question. Um, uh, just a conversation that me and my mom are actually having. So I was asking mm -hmm. her, why is it even, I guess just because I said like I moved and credit is not a thing in the Caribbean. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I was just asking her, I'm like, is it even important, you know, especially for someone who's not living in North America to have a credit card? So I just, mm-hmm. I guess, wanted your opinion on that because there I've like from conversation, um, seen two different sides of it where people are just like, okay, yeah, it encourages bad behavior, this, this, that. If you don't have it in cash, don't pay for it, like that kind of thing. And then there's yeah. the other side of like, oh, you know, like it helps you to do this or like manage certain things. Like if you know, I know, for example, like my mom, if she doesn't have it in her debit, she's not going to spend it on her credit. Um, And that's just her like yeah. rule. Um, mm-hmm. But she uses it not just to like build credit and, you know, like you were saying, have that credit history, but just to kind of... um. I guess just help her manage everything with her business and all of that. It just kind of her system works with that. So what is your opinion on it? You know, if you have the option where you live in a place where credit isn't important, like, would you say not have a credit card, like not go that route? Um, Mm -hmm. Or would you still like recommend it? So I think it really depends because Mm -hmm. I if you can manage without it, then that makes sense. If you have no desire to ever come back to a country that uses it, then keep keep the cash. But what mm-hmm. I've noticed is um, even with like debit, debit visas, so debit visas or debit cards that are visa compatible, you can use them online and stuff. I've had situations where my debit visa was not accepted and I had to use a credit card to make an online mm-hmm. purchase. Um, an- another thing would be... <sighs> So not my personal situation, but my brother does flips. So he purchases like pick me up properties and renovates them and mm-hmm. sells them. That's and fun. so sometimes he needs to rent out equipment and they require a credit card. So it mm-hmm. really just depends on like, it's essentially access to money and like, yeah diversifies your ability to do different things so maybe not get rid of it but like just Mm -hmm. don't use it because you never know when you're going to be in a situation where you might actually have to use a credit card um so I would say it's good to at least have one um I was going to say something else most people use their credit cards for an emergency fund I don't suggest that because at the end of the day you're going to have to pay that you know balance back um But in some cases, if you are responsible and you absolutely need to use a credit card, then, Mm -hmm. you know, for an emergency, then you would use it and hopefully be responsible enough to pay it back. So, yeah. So I would just say, like, in those two instances where renting equipment, they might require you to use a credit card or buying stuff online, the platform might not accept a debit visa. Those Mm -hmm. would be why I would still keep one even if you don't okay. live in a spot that yeah. typically needs it yeah sounds good thank you yeah no problem so activity number four check your score so there's oh that actually rhymed cool okay so there's two platforms that I personally actually know this is the one that I like there's two that are easily accessible and free so Borowell, I really um, like how they lay everything out. It's just very, very simple, um, easy to use. You can set alerts for it to alert you whether your score drops or increases. 
The other one is Credit Karma. I personally don't like it only because it's not as accurate and it takes forever to upload. So if I were to go in and check my Credit Karma, my score on Credit Karma, it would be showing me like stuff from August. We are in October. Like it just updates really, really late. And the kind of things that I want to do, I need a more accurate um, representation of what my score is. You can do Equifax, um, but I think you have to pay like 20 bucks a month. They say that is the most accurate, but Borowell takes from Equifax. So it's up to you. Um, I'm going to say this, the credit system is a scam, but we have to learn how it works so we can operate in the system that we live in. Your score might be different on different platforms. I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, my score on my Capital One app is way higher than my score on Borowell. And the information is the same. So I don't know. I'm, I just know it's a good score. And that's that's what I, you know, I stick with. But again, this is going to solidify what I said about not like you don't have to go crazy trying to get into the 800 club because it's not that serious. Like 750 or higher is pretty good, you know. Just make sure you're making your payments on time. You're using less than 30% and you should be good. If you want more specific details on how to improve your score, you can talk um, to me afterwards. But you know, you don't, you don't need to do too much and you don't need to focus too much on it. Also, if you ever see people sharing their score, um, like exact score anywhere, like watch your own score, focus on your own pockets. This is not a competition. Just focus on what your credit, your, your credit report says and what your credit habits are. Um, you don't have to compete with anybody else because it is personal. Okay. So who can check your score? Prospective lenders, people who are going to be offering you credit cards, utility companies, potential landlords, not all, but some might ask, and future employers. So future employers. Yes, I've definitely applied to a job and seen on the application, you know, them asking if they can check my score. I ran out of there. I didn't run. I left. But... <laughs> I don't agree with it, but some of them might ask, and I find it's common in financial um, companies. You have a choice. You don't have to apply there if they, you know, want that information. I don't think that information is very relevant to how I'm going to do my job, but some want to know that. So again, remember, if these people check your score, um, it's considered a hard check. And if you check your score, it's a soft check and you can check your score as many times as you want. So some ways to boost your credit score. The very first thing is to make sure your payments are on time. You can diversify your credit accounts. Um, one thing that I found is really helpful is instead of paying one making one payment per month, making multiple. So if I owe 200 bucks on my credit card, instead of just paying that 200 bucks before the due date, I'm going to split that up into two to three payments. I find that my score increases way faster and not just me. I didn't just try it. I got my cousin to try it. I've had clients to try it and it's helped them as well. So break down your balance, what you owe into smaller payments and I don't know why, but the credit cards companies love it. 
okay? And of course, typically as you pay off your debt and reduce your overall debt balance, your score will improve. And last but not least, getting rid of negative information on your report. So negative accounts or closed accounts do not have to stay on your report for seven years. This is a lie. Um, I was able to get something removed after five years, and I probably could have gotten it removed way sooner if I knew about that. So it's not super easy because they don't want you to remove this stuff off of your report, of course, but it is possible. All you have to do is make sure you have proof of payment that you've made the payment that you owe, and you're going to request that that company contacts Equifax or TransUnion to remove that account off of your report. Again, if you want more detail about that, feel free to contact me afterwards. I think that that was a great point. I just went through that. Um, mm. In a totally different country, I'm like, no, let me check my credit score one day. Um, and I'd been seeing an account that I closed on my, like, credit report for like two I closed the account like three years ago and I was still yeah. seeing this like um like there was some money like less than twenty dollars that was owed on it I'm like I can't have money owed on the account if I went in person paid yeah. off everything and closed it um so I was like I called the bank and I was like hey like this has been on my credit report <laughs> forever I thought yeah. it was nothing I kept waiting for it to come off but it's been like two three years now like and you know they're like oh maybe um, you know, within a short time span after, like between when I closed it and when the, um, what do you call it? like the, the thing actually registered that I closed, someone yeah. or some bill or something I bought must have that was automated still charged mm. the card. So it's like I go in today, it charges me within the week. So now it's on my report yeah. as like something I didn't pay. Yeah. So I had to go through that whole process of like talking to you know their debt department and just having that like paid mm -hmm. off and removed but if I hadn't called or yeah. you know randomly checked over and over like why is this still on that would have been there like mm -hmm. god knows how long so I think that's a very important point like they're not gonna tell you that information so you mm -hmm. have to like stay on it but it was just it was a weird thing for me because I'm like you're like nobody like emailed me or like you know even be like you know like yeah. this is still here we're still seeing something on your account that you closed so it was just it was just interesting and I like, see you have to like look out for yourself especially with this stuff you know yeah that's like the best way to put it you really do um that's why I suggest looking at your credit report um like at least once a month and just making sure that everything looks good because you know and then if we have the conversation about collections, right, if you miss a payment for 30 days or sorry, 90 days, like a phone bill or something, they'll send your, your account to collections. And the collection situation is not a fun situation because they are out for blood. All they want is their money. So you want to make sure that you don't ever get to that point where things get to collections. But if they do, you really got to advocate for yourself. They do not want to make your life easy. So you have to make sure that you record everything. So write down who you talk to, their phone number, their department, the spelling of the name, when you talk to them, what you talked about. Like you need to have all this ready 
um, when you make the payment, you need proof of payment. So, you know, screenshotting the transaction, you know, on your bank account or from your bank account, um, getting an official letter that says this payment was made. Like these are things that are going to make your life easier if anything pops off in the future. Okay. So as someone who's been through that process multiple times, <laughs> you want to have everything written down. And you also want to stay on top of it, right? I had to get something removed. And I, I think I, it took like a month. Every week I was like, hey, did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? Like, it's not a priority for them. So it has to be pr a priority for you, okay? Okay, so, oh, I'm so sad for the people who left because they're missing out. Oh, wait, no, it's recorded. Thank God, because this, this right here, this right here, game changer okay and and for the people if you know the people who left make sure you tell them to watch the replay because this is a game changer okay so also if you want me to put the link for this debt calculator i will do it in the chat because this is a lifesaver so this is an example of an average credit card loan let's say or credit card debt rather Somebody racked up their credit card to $3,000. Very, very reasonable. I see clients that have three to $5,000 on their credit card almost every day. Their monthly payment is 50 bucks. So this is what the credit card statement is telling them to pay. Minimum payment, right? Interest rate, 19%. It would take 15, almost 16 years to pay this off. This is real life. Because guess what? You're not just paying the 3000 that you owe. Remember what I said? You're paying those fees, the interest fees, the late fees, right? So with the interest, you're paying more than double in fees. That is crazy, okay? And it's going to take you almost 16 years. It took you two months or maybe even one month to rack up that credit card. And it's going to take you 16 years to pay it off. Okay. So what we want to do with our debt is we always want to pay more than the minimum. So if they tell you 50, I need you to pay like 80. Or if you got, you know, if you're, if you're, if you got the coins, I need you to pay a hundred. Okay. Because this is what happens if you just add 50 bucks to the minimum payment, okay? And, and let me tell you this, 50 bucks is very realistic. 50 bucks is a couple Uber rides. It's a couple dinners. It's a couple shoes. Okay, maybe not shoes. Well, maybe, eh, maybe not shoes, but, you know, a couple items, clothes, whatever the case is. So 50 bucks is very doable. Look at what happens when we add just $50 to that monthly payment from 16, almost 16 years down to about three and a half. If you are mind blown, make some noise. And if it's silent, I'm gonna be shook because when I learned this, I was like, Woo! I can't believe that nobody is talking about this. So if any of you on the call have debt right now, I need you to look at what your minimum payment is. And of course, if you have the capacity, you need to pay more than the minimum because you need to make sure that you are 
hacking away at the principal, which is the 3000, as well as the interest, which are all the fees that you are getting charged. Okay, you want to make sure you're tackling both, right? So if you don't remember anything from this workshop, remember this, right? Any questions? All right, so I think we have a hard stop at 5.30, so I'm going to keep going. Investing 101, okay? So I know we love to make money. We see all these people making money from crypto. But again, no one gave us a crash course on what we need to do before we start investing so, so we don't just throw our money into anything and lose money. So I'm going to give you the before you invest tips on what you need to know before you start throwing your money away. <laughs> Um, we're not discussing NFT, crypto, that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about the basics so that you can make better financial decisions if you decide to get into those kind of things, okay? Disclaimer, investing involves risk. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results. Results aren't guaranteed. So as we're watching people post stuff on Instagram, we have to make sure that we're being realistic here, right? When you invest, you are you know, risking your money. There's a chance you can earn money, of course, but there's also a chance that you can lose money. If you are not okay with that, you should not be investing your money. So why do we, um, or some of the main things about investing, right? So the main thing here is putting our money into something where we are going to get more than what we initially invested. That is the goal, right? So that doesn't only have to be stocks or crypto or real estate. I paid for this laptop and I've made more money than I spent on the laptop using the laptop. So that's considered an investment, right? We want to make our money work for us, even if we are not working. So the money that I have in my wealth simple um, account you know, invested in stocks is growing, even though I'm not working for that growth, right? It's doing its thing on its own. And I don't have to put labor into that. Wins and losses. So yes, I've lost money investing. Um, most people don't admit when they lose money. And I think that's very um, dangerous to put on this front, like you can only make money with investing. Um, I'm going to talk about how we can reduce the chances of losing money. But again, that's a reality. And if your mindset is not, you know, set up to handle the losses, you are going to lose even more money. Okay. And last but not least, personal goals. You want to make sure that you are investing for your personal goals. Investing is a personal thing, right? So if you care about green energy, you can invest in those things. If you care about woman-owned businesses, you can specifically invest in those things. If you want to, I don't know, have money to buy a car in a couple of years, you would invest in something that could give you potential returns to get that car. So the things you invest in have to be based on you, not what other people are doing. If you trust what they're doing and you want to also invest in what they're investing in, that's fine. But just because someone throws $100,000 into crypto does not mean that you have to do that, okay? And I don't have anything against crypto. What I the, the issue that I have is 
people are very flaky on social media only showing the good things about their lives and their finances and their investing and because investing is still kind of cloudy we just want to be honest with you know what we're doing what our financial capacity is and not leading a false narrative so the goal in life is to earn more money without working more there are only so many hours of labor you can trade for money and the only way to make your money work for you even if you're not working is to invest so in order to live a comfortable life our money needs to outpace inflation inflation i'm sure y'all been hearing this word for the last like six months actually probably the last three years but um inflation is a general increase in prices and fall in purchasing power so when i first created this um presentation like a couple like maybe a year ago inflation in ontario was like four percent okay so now it's seven percent meaning our money needs to grow at least seven percent or more to maintain its purchasing power so we need to invest our money in things that earn seven percent or more so Putting our money in a bank account that earns 1% is not the math ain't mathing, right? It's not going to give us what we need. It needs to earn at least 7%. And luckily, there are things that earn 7%. We're going to talk about some of those. So before you invest, first, of course, you got to be 18 or older, or if the person is not, they are a minor and their parents can open up an account for them. You want to have an emergency fund. You should not be investing money that you need for bills. You should be investing money that you don't need and won't need for a bit of time. You want to assess your risk. Everybody's risk is different. My risk is different from Charnel's risk, okay? Um, some people are more conservative, so they're a little hesitant to invest. They really wanna um, protect their initial investment. They're going to invest in different things than somebody who is more aggressive and can afford to lose a lot of money. So this is, again, personal. You want to move in a way that makes sense for your financial capacity, because at the end of the day, when you lose money, no one else is no one's like it's no one else's business, really. So you just want to make sure that you are um, your actions and your investments are matching your risk tolerance. And lastly, tax free so we get taxed when we make money we get taxed when we spend money we get taxed when we save money we get taxed when we die so what we want to do is we want to invest our money in tax-free avenues that means we don't have to claim our profits when it comes to tax time okay so specifically with wealth simple you can invest through the personal account or the tax-free account if you invest using the personal account, you have to claim your taxes um, or your profit, sorry. If you invest through the tax-free, you don't have to, okay? Don't make that mistake, because I did, okay? I was finger happy and wanted to invest and ended up doing it through the wrong account. So just pay attention. Anything that says tax-free, we, we, we like that, okay? So again, as I said, investments goals, investment goals, right? Your investment options should match your goals. So you wanna set short-term, mid-term and long-term goals and choose an investment type that will help you achieve this goal. So here are types of investments, yourself, education, laptop, equipment. Um, you can invest through life insurance. Some people don't know this, but if you have a permanent policy, you can invest your money in different portfolios. 
um, registered retirement savings plan, registered education savings plan, registered disability savings plan, tax-free savings account, stocks, crypto, NFTs, real estate, precious metals. Um, I'm sure there's others, mutual funds, segregated funds, all that fun stuff. But these are just some of the investments and you really want to diversify same way when I was talking about the credit um, and your debt, you want to diversify because when something drops, like when the stock market drops, you want to make sure that not all of your money is dropping with it, right? If the stock market's dropped, but the real estate is doing well, if you have money in both places, you're not going to feel the loss in both places, right? So you want to invest in different things, but again, it has to make sense for you. So this is just a bit of a screenshot of some of the things that I've invested in so far. It's been about two years now. Um, the first thing I invested in was real estate only because of my brother. Um, he is an investor. I have an RSP, stocks, life insurance, and gold. And pretty diverse so far. Um, whether I'm going to invest more in different things, we'll see. But over the last two years, this is what it looks like. So most of my money is in real estate. Um, and most recently, I purchased some gold coins. So this is something that I thought was really cool. Um, Wealthsimple offers halal investing, which follow a you know, certain laws that comply with Islam. And there are folks who follow this religion who may not think that they can invest due to the type of portfolios available. But Wealthsimple does offer portfolios that align with Islamic law. So if you know anybody who follows this faith and is interested in investing, um, show this to them. You know, I think it's very important to make finance as exclusive inclusive sorry as possible um because everybody needs to improve their finances so if we can find ways that match you know different faiths and still allow them to build wealth and and grow their money i think that's extremely noble and amazing okay so reality check with investing i know most people want to make money and they want to make money fast but the reality is on a day-to-day -day basis, this is what investments look like. This is what the stock market look like. It is dependent on supply and demand. And so it's going to be up and down. You're gonna see some red days. You're gonna see some green days, right? But if you zoom out a bit, you're gonna see that it's a steady increase. The stock market earns about eight to 10% annually, okay? So you're going to see that increase. You just have to have some patience. Investing is not a fast game right? We need to slow it down a bit, have some patience, and make sure that we are investing in a variety of things that match our personal goals, and you'll be fine. And there's no rush to do everything, right? Move at your own pace. If you need help figuring out what, you know, investments you can afford, we can have that conversation. But it's a long game. So, don't freak out if you see some red days or lost a little bit of money. Don't freak out if, you know, inflation goes up again. Investing is a long game and you have to stick with it to see the results. Any questions?
Okay, I have a couple more slides. So additional resources. So these are three books that um, I'll say Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is like, everyone mentions that. And, you know, honestly, I didn't even read all of it. I did start to read it. I love the concept, but my favorite book when it comes to finance so far is The Psychology of Money because it outlines the investing careers of major investors. And each chapter has a really cool, like, witty name. And I really like that kind of stuff. So I love The Psychology of Money. And another book that's not, finance related, but has really, really helped shape um, who I am and how I handle rejection, which is extremely gracefully, by the way, is rejection proof. So Jia Jang decided to literally go around, as you see, it says 100 days of rejection, go around and purposely get a no from people. So it goes into like a donut shop and say, ah, can you make this kind of donut? No. Okay, cool. And just trying to get as many no's as possible to build up his resilience and his resistance against no, because at the end of the day, hearing a no is not the worst thing that can happen. Like if someone doesn't give you what you want, like it's not the end of the world, right? It might just mean not right now, or maybe not me, maybe somebody else. So this book really, really made me fearless. So I think that's an important aspect, especially being an artist. So it's a book that I recommend. Um, and some things to remember. So how you treat yourself is how you'll treat others. So if you are feeling low about yourself, you're most likely going to do that to others. So it's so important to build your self-love and your self-confidence so that you can treat other people the same. Be honest about your financial situation. Again, we're living in a world where everybody wants to compare themselves to people. And at the end of the day, if you don't focus on yourself and what you need, you're going to get lost in the sauce. Create balance between now and the future, right? YOLO, the whole YOLO vibe is, is not it. Live in the moment, yes, but always be thinking about, is this going to hurt or help my future? Again, you don't have to have it all figured out today, right? Baby steps. The easiest thing um, you can do is ask for help. Um, or the first thing you got to do is ask for help um, so that someone who knows more than you can lead you in the right direction. Money is a tool. It's a neutral tool and you give it direction. And last but least, you are worthy. Your feelings are valid and you are needed. So again, even if you're going through things with your finances, ask for help and you know, start working towards improving them. It doesn't have to happen overnight, but if you don't start, then nothing can change, right? So any questions before we end off about the presentation, about me personally, about something finance related, any questions? I guess I'll just ask one that I've kind of, um, well, to start the questions off, you know, hopefully somebody has another question after me. Um, but what would you say are the accounts that you like need to have? Like, how do you 
manage accounts because one of the things that I kind of struggled with before and like especially after my move was okay I have way too many accounts I need to like close this close this close that close that that kind of thing so what would you say are like um are the accounts that you have to have like base accounts so that you're not like all over the place just trying to figure everything out Um, not, I'm not hearing you on my end. I'm not sure what happened there. Just kind of. Sorry, I think it was muted. Um, okay. So what kind of accounts are you talking about? Like bank accounts? Yeah, like bank accounts. So I know I have like, you know, my, um, I think it's coming more from the perspective of, because I know we're going to end off soon, but it's coming more of a perspective of now I have, so I have like my music that I consider mm -hmm. a business because you know I'm buying equipment I'm going to network and stuff I'm spending money on it um yeah. I'm making back even if it's not a lot right now but making back money um and then I have an actual uh lifestyle product business that I run as well so now there's like two businesses there's yeah. like personal finances and I'm just like okay I don't know like which accounts do I need to close do I need to open accounts like what would you yeah. say for someone who's like, um, you know, an entrepreneur and also just trying to manage personal stuff? What would you say like base accounts that you should have that would just kind of help you to like manage everything? Yeah. So um, it's kind of hard to give a specific answer. Mm -hmm. um, so if you feel like you want to go over that like offline, that's cool. Yeah, no um, I say everyone should have for every thing mm -hmm. you should have a separate account gotcha. so now granted I feel like your business stuff could kind of be together like okay. yeah if you yeah. have one business credit card that you do all your business transactions with that's mm -hmm. cool and then you might have yeah. another credit card that's not business related mm -hmm. that's just a credit card that you use for other things because separating that is going to be easier when you go and review transactions you can just see yeah. these are business transactions so the organization there is going to be better in general when it comes to banking i always suggest checking account savings um tax-free savings mm -hmm. so typically tax-free might offer a higher interest rate it just really depends on the bank that you're with but having that extra like savings account just means that you can separate your money more. Um, mm -hmm. So like checking account, money's coming in, savings account, um, I don't know, maybe money for bills, tax-free, um, maybe like travel fund or something, right? It just mm -hmm. helps you separate more. Yeah. Um, what I find with the digital banks is that they allow you to open up more savings mm -hmm. accounts. So with a traditional bank, you might just get the one savings account. For me, for my tangerine, I have check-ins, I have um, tax-free, and I have three savings accounts. So I really can separate my savings goals mm -hmm. into those different categories. Um, so in general, to sum it up, I would say for every, I guess, purpose, you should have a separate account. So it doesn't mm -hmm. mean a separate bank account. It could just mean a separate account. So if you're, if you have your, let's say it's TD and Tangerine, if Tangerine is where all your business money comes in, you might want to have a savings account for, I don't know, profits, maybe 
and then another savings account like profits lifestyle profits mm-hmm. music like you can label That's them that way yeah, yeah. um but again it's hard to like give yeah, specific yeah but um, but that, that was great that's actually helpful because for me i think the problem was like okay I don't know like anybody else with like all these accounts so maybe yeah. I'm just like doing too much but that's helpful yeah. because now because I wasn't sure if like me having so many like savings accounts or like you know so many because I'm also with Tangerine they're they're like yeah. my bank my main bank <laughs> um yeah. so I wasn't sure if it like hurt me to ha- be opening so many mm. accounts and any okay well that's because they're good. free yeah. right like yeah. I don't know what the limit is because I I have three so far mm. um actually one of my you know and this is the thing right like yes I I do teach you know financial education but I actually learned that I could open up more than one savings account with tangerine from a client mm. and I was just like okay I'm gonna start doing that because yeah. I have one for business I have one for taxes I have one for my emergency fund I have one for mm-hmm. travel so, you know, I don't know what the limit is. I could probably find that out. But again, the every account, every goal should be in a separate account because then you yeah. can easily see travel 600 bucks or taxes 800 bucks. Like the more you separate, the better. So you're on mm-hmm. the right track. Most people, it's like checkings, savings. There's nothing in the savings. Mm-hmm. Everything's in the check-ins and they don't know what they're doing. So you, gotcha. you got it you got it right by separating and um yeah I would say continue to do that okay thank you um no I know worries. we're at 5 30 we still have uh two people who stick around thank you so much for um sticking around to yes. the very end uh do you have any questions for Shay just before we close out Alrighty. Well, thank you, Shay, so much. This is, we don't get this. I don't know why we still don't get this at school. I know some people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some institutions are trying to make it an elective and all that stuff, but mm. it's so amazing to actually sit down and just go through so much in finance, just in this one workshop. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to the attendees, especially those yes. who stuck around to the end. Um, I always see the workshop is, is too bland, you know, without (laughs) having having our audience, you know, and having that engagement and being able to, you know, just kind of communicate and go back and forth with each other. So thank you so much for, for joining on as well. We do have our regularly scheduled workshop tomorrow. Um, that is going to be with Nicole Pratt from SoCan. And then we have Anesta from Music Canada and also Connect Music. Um, so if you're into like roy- um, royalties and rights, that would be a great workshop to join on. Or if you know someone who is, please feel free to recommend that to them. Um, and the link of course is in our bio on Instagram. So thank you again, everyone. I hope you all learned something. I know I definitely did. Thank you again, Shay, and have a great night. Ooh, one more thing, one more thing, one more sure, thing, Chanel. Um, please DM me. I would love to gift you with like a gift card or something for being so attentive and for participating.